You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health Podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. I'm Teresa McKee, your host for A Mindful Moment. Thank you for joining me today as we explore ways to increase our mindfulness in our day-to-day experiences. Let's start with the breath. The breath is our most powerful tool for getting centered, grounded, and calm. If you're able to, breathe in through your nose for a count of one, two, three, four. Now slowly release the breath through the mouth for a count of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One more time. In, two, three, four. Exhale, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Repeat this breath work anytime during the day when you feel stress rising or when you notice you've lost your focus. If you'd like to follow a guided meditation, please visit our YouTube channel at Work to Live. I think it was a Verizon commercial that first brought the phrase, Can you hear me now? to the forefront of almost every conversation we have. I'm actually not sure why smartphones are called phones at all. The sound quality is awful, and reception spotty at best for many of us, prompting all of us to have to repeat that phrase multiple times a day. And now, of course, we hear it on video conferencing calls all of the time. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? But if we consider that phrase from a deeper perspective, it might be more valuable to say, Do you hear me? Are you really listening to what I'm saying? These phrases speak to effective communication, which we're sorely lacking in these days. Stephen Covey, perhaps best known for his best-selling book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, said, Most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. And that is the crux of the problem. Many of us spend most conversations thinking about what we're going to say next or judging the speaker for whatever they're saying, or thinking about what we need to do or where we need to go as soon as the current conversation is over. In some cases, we're so focused on what's next, we'll start trying to predict what the other person is going to say and even start filling in words for them to hurry them along. Communication basically consists of two factors, listening and speaking. And of those two, listening is the most important. Without genuinely listening, we're not hearing what the person is conveying, and that diminishes trust, reduces empathy, and results in miscommunication, all of which can lead to a breakdown in relationships. Mindful communication is definitely one solution to our communication challenges. But first I want to share a conversation I had with Kathy Groover to ask why she thinks we struggle with communicating well. 
Kathy is an award-winning author, professional speaker, and coach with over 30 years of experience in mind-body medicine and human behavior. She's an entertainer and educator, imbuing all of her programs with practicality and passion. Kathy has written eight books which have garnered 12 awards, hosted a TV series on her first book, developed a stress reduction program for the U.S. military, and co-hosts the Fire and Earth podcast. She has penned countless articles and appears regularly as a guest in print media, radio, and TV, most recently appearing on The Dr. Phil Show. She has earned her Ph.D. in natural health and has studied mind-body medicine at the famed Benson Henry Institute for Mind-Body Medicine at Harvard. Thank you for joining us today, Kathy. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, This is really interesting. I loved the book. And congratulations on it. It's Say What? How to Communicate Anything to Anyone. And my first question to you is really, why do you think we have such a difficult time communicating effectively? That's a a great question. And that's what sparked the whole thing of the book. Uh, I I don't think we're taught to communicate well. You know, unless you seek out like nonviolent communication or you're in a communications course in college, that's not something we're taught. And, you know, I didn't use algebra at all today. I did have to communicate with people and no one taught me how to do that. Uh, I also think the second part of that is often we think we're such great communicators or it's always everybody else. And at some point we have to realize we can't change other people. Oh, if we could, it would be so great. Uh, we can only change and, and advance and evolve ourselves. So I think it's, it's a matter of working on ourselves to make sure we are getting our message across and communication can break down at any level of that communication cycle. So I think it's just, you know, it's that we're not taught to. It's not necessarily intuitive, and we think we're great, and we're not always great. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. I like it that we think better of ourselves than maybe we actually are. I mean, I think that's good for our motivation, but not if we're blind to it. I think that that is a really important point. Another interesting thing I found in the book, or that I, I really sort of resonated with, is that you say that we're never not communicating. And that was a little bit of a different perspective on communicating. So I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, so much of our communication is is nonverbal, right? So even if we're just standing in silence, we're communicating something. Maybe it's how we're standing. Maybe it's the look. Maybe it's what, at least for me, and I think I mentioned this book, I don't know what this is doing most of the time. My face just sort of gives, I do not have a good poker face unless I'm really conscious of trying to have a good poker face. So it's just like, you know, not making a choice is making a choice. Same thing with communication. Us not saying anything is saying sometimes volumes. So I think we have to remember that, that just because we're sitting in silence, that's actually communicating something too. Maybe it's misinterpreted and we have to recognize that that's still communication. So I think that's where that went with that. Yeah, I I think part of why it caught my attention is because I know for us, I'm sure for many, now that we're communicating almost every day in Zoom or some platform, you really notice more now, you know, people's expressions because we've lost the other part of the communication system, which is our entire bodies. And it amazes me that people are not aware of what they're communicating by the way they're looking, say in a workshop. And in a live workshop, if someone looks bored somewhere in the audience, you don't really notice it. But when you've got people right there in their little box, it's quite evident. And I do think that people are maybe less aware of what they're communicating, even by just their facial expressions, which are now critical, I think, because of the way we're having to communicate. Well, and to that point, if you don't know what your face is doing, Zoom is the perfect opportunity to do that. Because right now, you know, we're doing this thing. So I'm looking in the camera, but I can always look down at myself and go, oh, okay, I'm making that face again. One of the things you touch on in the book is how we jump to conclusions, which in my trainings, I say we make up stories all the time. 
but I'm wondering if you can describe the impact this has on our communication. Sure. If we don't know what the other person is actually doing, thinking, feeling, trying to communicate, and we interpret that in a different way, if we make up those stories, and I love Eckhart Tolle, and Eckhart Tolle says, you know, it's not the circumstance that makes us unhappy. It's our narrative around that circumstance. It's, it's how we interpret that stuff. So it's the same way. You know, if I pass you uh, in the parking lot and I wave and you don't wave back and I create this whole story about how you don't like me and you're ignoring me and you're being mean and what did I do wrong? And, you know, I have this whole huge reaction to that and reactivity is horrible for communication. And then I call you and I yell at you or the next time I see you, I ignore you. And it becomes this whole thing when really maybe you weren't wearing your glasses and didn't see me. So what do I know to be true? What do I know? You didn't wave back, period. That's all I know. I can create story after story around that. That's not probably what actually happened. And this is where I love asking questions. I love, I encourage people to ask for clarification. Maybe I text you and go, hey, I saw you in the parking lot the other day. I waved. You didn't wave back. Did you not see, you know, ask the question, hey, did you see me? you know, as opposed to jumping to conclusions. Uh, if we burned calories jumping to conclusions, we would all be at the exact weight that we wanted to be. Uh, it's hard for our brain not to make up stories. That's what it does, you know? Yeah. So uh, it, it can be really detrimental to relationships, to communication, to leadership, to getting projects done on time if we don't actually know what the other person's intention is. So clarify, clarify, clarify. You teach mindfulness and obviously we're, we have a big focus on mindfulness. And in the book, you talk about two areas that are in alignment with what we really focus on in the podcast, which is presence and mindfulness in communication. And so I was wondering if you could expound on that a little bit for our audience. Yeah, absolutely. When we're in a stressed state, we don't communicate well. We become very reactive. We tend to see everything through a cloudy lens. So it's like your windshield wipers don't quite work and you're trying to see everything around this smear of negativity is how that affects us. Uh, we tend to hear things more negatively valenced. You tend to misinterpret facial expressions. So we start to tell those stories in our head when we're stressed. Now, in defense of our brain, it's made to do that. It's made to look for negative things that are going to be a threat. And once it starts, it just it goes, goes, goes. That's going to affect our communication because we're going to be reactive. We're going to be misinterpreting things. We're going to be letting our brain run rampant and tell those stories about things that we don't know to be true. So if we stop and just take that pause for a moment, do that breath or that mindfulness practice or that meditation, whatever gets you back to that neutral pause, then you have the ability to actually make that decision as to whether you're going to react, which tends to get us in trouble, <laughs> or respond, which is a more mindful, thought out what do I really want to say? What is my intention in saying that? I've actually started asking people that. It's like, why, why are you telling me that story? Like, what do I need to get from that? And sometimes we just ramble on. We don't even know we're mindlessly talking about something or not understanding that the other person would like to say something or it's now their turn to talk. If we're not present in that communication, it's not going to be as good a communication. It's going to kind of fall to the wayside. So anything you can do to be more present, be more mindful. I love gazing. I teach gazing when I do my mindfulness class. Going back to, again to Eckhart Tolle, one of my favorite things to do. And it helps conversation. It helps all the communication, relationships, leadership. Again, all that good stuff. So since we're on the topic of mindfulness and meditation, we've been covering just in the last few weeks on the podcast, we've been trying to highlight different types of meditation because as you mentioned in the book, and I agree, whatever kind of meditation you do, it's going to be beneficial. So we want to help people find the type that might resonate better for them. Maybe if it's not mindfulness, I mean, it doesn't matter what kind it is, it's finding it. And so I was wondering if you have 
a preferred practice or a favorite practice that you feel that you get the most benefit from that you could share? Absolutely. It's my favorite, favorite thing. So I was a horrible meditator. Everybody always told me I should meditate. Don't say should. That's in the book. We shouldn't say should. We're shooting all over ourselves. We can't do that. So, you know, I had these misconceptions that you had to touch certain fingers. I never knew which one. You had to roll your eyes back. You had to sit still. If it itched, you couldn't scratch it. If it cramped too bad. And then you floated away until a million bubbles, which never happened for me. And no one ever told me the benefit of meditation or how to meditate or why to meditate. And again, it goes down to if we have full information, we're going to be more apt to agree to do that thing. So when I went to Harvard, they taught us the mini meditation. I love it. I love teaching it. I probably taught it to a million people at this point. Can I walk you through it? It just takes Absolutely. a couple minutes. Okay. Absolutely. So I'm going to have, I invite everyone to close their eyes. It doesn't matter what physical position you're in. You can stay sitting at your desk, sitting in your car. Don't close your eyes if you're in your car. That, that, don't do that. And I just want you to concentrate on your breath. And you're not trying to change it. You're not trying to slow it down. You're not trying to speed it up. You're just noticing what it's doing. And on your next inhale, think I am. And on all of your inhales, think I am. And on your next exhale, think at peace. And on all of your exhales, think at peace. Inhale, I am. Exhale at peace. And when other thoughts intrude, which they inevitably will, just dismiss them without judgment. No need to latch on to those. Let them float away like clouds on a summer day. And just return to the breath and the I am at peace. And you can unclench your hands. And you can let your shoulders drop and you can relax your belly because no one's looking. And when those thoughts run in, just acknowledge your thinking and let them go. They float away. I am at peace. And go ahead, take another inhale, I am, exhale at peace, and open your eyes and come back to the room. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's so easy, and you can do it anywhere. In fact, while you were, while we were getting on, I was doing a couple I am at peace, because it stops the stress response, and the stress response keeps us from being at our best. It keeps us from having higher brain function and good cognitive skills, good communication, empathy, you know, that sort of thing. So Anytime you can do this, and I made the joke about, you know, don't do it in the car. I actually do it in the car all the time. <laughs> Being that I'm from the East Coast, now I'm in Santa Barbara, a little bit slower, a little bit more distracted. If I see that light turn yellow and I think, yay, I get to go, and the guy in front of me slams on the brakes, I can't get out and move the guy. They frown on that. So that's not a good thing to do. So why am I going to stress myself out? Why am I going to put myself into a fight or flight response over something that doesn't deserve that? So I take my hand off the steering wheel. I stare up at the light. And I do the breathing and the I am at peace until the light changes and then I go on my way. So it's like any time you have just a few minutes, a few moments to take that opportunity to meditate, to be present, to be mindful, it's only going to benefit you. It's only going to be a positive thing. I appreciate that you did that mini meditation because we're doing it now in all of our trainings because to tell someone it makes a difference 
doesn't work. Like they have to experience and we, we actually have them check in with themselves before we start. Like, how are you feeling? And almost everybody's stressed these days. And then just a few minutes of breathing exercises, meditating, calming down, getting present. And afterwards, then always we get, oh, thank you so much for doing that. And it's challenging sometimes to express to people, you can do this anytime, anywhere. You don't have to wait till you're in a formal training and right. do it with us. But right. until they experience, I don't think people realize just how powerful the breath is and just how powerful it is to be in the present moment instead of worrying about what happened a few minutes ago or a year ago or you know, worrying about what's going to happen in the future. So I yeah. do appreciate you doing that. Thank oh, you. Oh, of course. Well, and, and to that point, you know, I had a, a coaching client the other day. She was like, you know, they say to meditate in the morning and I can't meditate in the morning because my brain wants to go. And they said, okay, who are they? Yeah. And my rule for meditation is there are no rules to meditation. Now, people who do very formal seated meditation are going to disagree with me. That's totally cool. I now, because of the mini meditation that became my gateway drug to formal seated meditation, I can sit on the pillow and I know which fingers to touch and I can float away in a million bubbles. I know how to do that now. I don't have time to do that every day. I do have time when I'm sitting in traffic or when I'm in the shower or when I'm cooking breakfast to do the mini. As long as I'm doing something, you know, it's like, I'd rather do five minutes of crunches than nothing. I'd love to be in an hour exercise class. I don't have time today. Let's do five minutes of crunches. So, you know, it's, it's take what you can adapt it to you. It's that adaptability thing and personalize it, make it whatever works for you. Yeah, that's great. And I do agree with that. And of course, that's the first form of resistance we get all the time is I don't have time. And it's like, yeah. well, you're breathing already. <laughs> so it's really just Pay attention to the breathing. <laughs> so it's, it doesn't really have to take any extra time when you're too busy. I agree with you, though. I like sitting in meditation when I have the luxury of the time. Yeah. And I frequently don't have the time either. So one of the things we really try to express to all of our listeners, because it kind of speaks back to what you were saying about formal meditation. So they think it's this big thing they have to learn and follow every step and all of that. So what I really try to get through with every guest is, first of all, the other misperception is that somehow those of us that meditate never experience stress, which is not true. And so what I what I like to ask all guests is if you are in a situation where you feel your stress rising, I do think that if you meditate, you're much more aware of the minute mm -hmm. stress starts. And you're not in a position, like maybe you're in a meeting with a boss or we have a lot of hospital workers that listen to the program and, you know, they're with a patient or whatever it is, and they can't even stop to do a mini meditation. Do you have a go-to? Like, what do you do in that case that just helps you, again, stop the sympathetic system from kicking in and maybe flip over to the parasympathetic system? Do you have a go-to that you use like on a regular basis or your favorite? Yeah, there's so there's two things that I do. To me, the pause is the greatest thing ever. And I take that pause simply by concentrating on my breath for a second. And like you said, we're breathing anyway. So just make it conscious. There are people that have approached me after my talks and said, I can't think about my breath. It freaks me out. It makes me have anxiety. So that's not uncommon. Or if you don't have time to think about your breath or that doesn't resonate with you, whatever. If you rub your fingertips together lightly with such a tension, you can feel the ridges on your fingers. It kind of does the same thing. It brings you back to that, to that moment, to your body. It keeps you from being out there and all the stress is out there, right? It's that thing we're worried about in the future, that stuff we're dragging around from the past. Right now in this present moment, everything's okay. So whether it's the breathing or the rubbing of the fingers together. And I have clients who have gotten these necklaces that are almost little aromatherapy things and they can just sit and kind of fiddle with their necklace and the scent comes up and reminds them. So they've anchored in that scent of, lavender, vanilla, eucalyptus, whatever, to trigger them to relax. So that's a great thing to do too, is again, customize it. Maybe it's a, every time you see red, you're reminded to take a deep breath. There are so many things we can do in our environment and that's all in our control. That's all, we're in charge of that. 
know, so customize it. That's fantastic. No, I love that idea. Um, I'm an EFT practitioner. And so I frequently tell people to rub the sides of their fingers because oh. those are our meridian points. But I love that. I haven't heard that before. So I have to try that too, rubbing just the tips lightly. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. So let's get back to the book. You mentioned the five whys. So what are the five whys? I love the five whys. I don't even remember where I learned this. You know, we go to all these workshops and read things and we, we it's like a giant buffet to me. You just pull off everything that works for you. So the concept of the five whys is like so often we'll say, hey, I want this thing. And we think that's what we want, especially I get this a lot when we're doing affirmations. And that's sort of the story that I share with this in the book is a woman came up to me after one of my talks and she said, what do you do if someone's affirming things that can't happen? And I said, okay, I need the example of that one. She said, well, I have a client who's affirming that he's going to win the lottery. And I said, let me guess, he's never bought a ticket. She goes, no, he's never bought a ticket. So clearly he can't win the lottery. That doesn't work that way. And I said, okay, well, what does he want? She said, he wants to win the lottery. I said, no, that's not what he wants. What does he want? Oh, well, he wants a lot of money. It's okay. Why does he want a lot of money? Well, he wants to start a foundation for youth because he was incarcerated young and he wants to, you know, do this for kids. And the only way he could do that was with a lot of money. And I said, okay, so he doesn't want to win the lottery. She said, what? No, that's what he wants. And I said, no, he wants to help people. So when you ask those whys, it distills it down to what do you really want? Same thing with, you know, I'm terrified of public speaking. Why? What if people laugh at me? What if they laugh? Well, what, what if they laugh at you? Well, then I'll be humiliated. And then what then? You know, it's distilling it down to what is the, the root cause analysis is what that is. They use the, the big examples with the Jefferson Memorial in DC, where it's a longer story, but the engineer, rather than just replacing all the marble and concrete, had the sense to ask why it was degrading faster than any other monument. And it turned out because they had lights on. They left lights on. No one considered that. You know, so it's asking those whys to get to what you want. And that comes with asking questions. That comes with being curious. And that's, you know, the first thing we learn in coaching training is be curious about how that works and why and asking those questions. To me, asking those five whys and really distilling down what you want or what you're trying to communicate, that's the key to this. Because if you don't know what you want, you can't get it. You can't ask for it. You don't say, go get me a shirt what shirt? Like for who? What, what's your budget? What store am I going to? Distill it down. Detail, 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 detail. So true. And that does lead to the other question I was going to ask you, which is about affirmations. We also teach affirmations in our workshops. If someone really desires something and they want to use an affirmation because now they've heard about it, can you describe to our audience the power of affirmations or why they're important and how to best use them? So obviously we start with why, why do we want something, but then what's the next step? Yeah. So you've determined what you want. You want to be able to help people or you want a new car and it's totally fine to want a new car. If you want things, that's totally fine. Ask yourself why you want that thing. <laughs> and then if you decide it's for a good reason, ask for the thing. You know, I think we all deserve prosperity and abundance. And if you want to spend it on a new Tesla, knock yourself out. For affirmations, you want to put them present. Uh, you want to make them short and positive. So I am prosperous and abundant, not someday I'll not be broke. That doesn't work at all. I am prosperous and abundant. I am healthy and well. My immune system is strong. Studies support that we can actually boost our immune system and change our physiology by doing affirmations. So by me saying my immune system is strong and resilient, I can actually boost my immune system. That's just what the studies show. Most studies with affirmations have been done with either things like wound healing uh, or sports performance because those are measurable things. So that's pretty cool. The brain does not recognize the difference between what we're thinking about and imagining and what is actually happening. So as you're visualizing and as you're affirming these things, if you can bring in all of your senses, like 
get so excited about that new car and you can, oh, you can get that new car smell. Oh, I can smell that new car thing. And you see what it looks like and you see what it feels like driving it. And the more real you can make it, the more your brain is going to work on getting you that thing. Your brain wants to take you to stuff that's familiar with it already. This is why so many women, unfortunately, stay in bad marriages or stay in you know jobs we don't like. The brain is more comfortable in familiar than moving outside of that to things that are unknown. So make that thing you want known. Visualize, fantasize. You know, here's the caveat to that: do it at the right time. Because when I was studying with Dan Brown, the teacher, not the author, he said, "Stop daydreaming," and I freaked out. I literally, I raised my head in the middle of his talk, and he goes, "Yes." I don't think he was taking questions, and I said, "But no, I can't stop daydreaming. That's like, what am I going to do in the shower?" And that's how I get all my good stuff. And he goes, "Daydreaming and planning the future is great." Are you doing it mindfully? Are you doing it mindlessly? Are you daydreaming right now when you're trying to listen to this? Are you daydreaming while you're making love with your spouse? Are you daydreaming in class when you're supposed to be doing something else? Set 20 minutes aside and daydream, fantasize, do your affirmations, make it pointed and purposeful. That'll actually make it more effective and efficient too. So whatever you want, dream about it. Your brain will start to move you towards that thing because it thinks it's familiar. So that's my, that's my way to do affirmations. Thank you. I like that you mentioned setting aside time for it because that also ties into creating the habit. So yep. I have a time of day that that's what I do. I spend that time visualizing or dreaming about what I want, but it's a very, it's a ritual and it's mm -hmm. a habit at the same time of day. But, oh, it's time for me to like, I think of it as playing, you know, I, I start ah. playing with ideas, but I think that that's really important because then you're, that is the difference between mindfulness to me and mindless is you're not doing it throughout the day when you need to be focusing on the present <laughs> and what you're working on but you're right. setting aside that special time for something that is really important to you. Yeah. So I like that. Thank you. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things. As we go through this very, let's call it a major transition, we're all in different phases of a transition. Do you have any advice or tips for the best way to listen or hear all of the differing news and differing opinions and, you know, all the experts that don't all agree and which is causing a lot of confusion for people, I think. And then they jump to conclusions based on something. Yeah. So I'm really looking for, do you have any suggestions for people or how to process the information when we don't really know for sure who to listen to or, you know, what to do all the time? Yeah, that is such a great question. I wish I had an easy answer to that. Uh, and as much as I love the internet, I hate the internet. Because you can find anything to support anything. And I think it's, it's that critical thinking. Again, we're not taught anymore. Critical thinking of what source is that coming from? You know, I mean, I can find any info I want on Paranoid Joe's blog. Paranoid Joe doesn't actually really have any background in what he's saying to me. He just wants to sell me his latest supplement, his latest whatever. Go to the source. Look at multiple sources for things. This has come up a lot when, because I do massage and like healthcare stuff. People will say, hey, I found this website about this supplement. What do you think? And you realize it's a website trying to sell you the supplement. Well, of course, it's going to give you all the great info about how fabulous it is. It kind of comes down to asking the whys. Like, why are they telling me that? Why are they trying to invoke fear? Why are they trying to get this to happen? Why are they? And I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. We still have to question why. And we still have to use that critical thinking, which I'm pleased to learn, at least locally here, is now being taught in schools of how to, to look at what you're seeing online and discern whether that's a truthful, legitimate thing. Also, you know, we have this great barometer in our own bodies of what feels right. And sometimes it's just a matter of sitting there and saying, how does that feel in my body? Getting in touch with your body, being present with your own self of when I think about that, how does that make me feel? 
it, does it make you shrink back? And that, then that's not a good thing. If it kind of makes you like move forward, then maybe that's the way to go. That's part of our critical thing. That's that gut reaction that we have, that gut response. Critical thinking and asking those whys and looking at your source and listening to your body. Excellent. I refer to it as our internal guidance system, but basically that's in total alignment with what we've been trying to really share with people, which is you can't listen to all the chatter or you can't just pick one source and think, oh, they must know what they're talking about. So I appreciate that because I think a lot of people are looking for answers mm -hmm. and they may not because they've not been trained. I'm thrilled to hear they're teaching this in school now because I think that should be the top priority class. But yes. uh, there's too much information and there's too much misinformation. And especially now mm -hmm. when people are trying to decide if they should get a vaccine or not get a vaccine. And again, whichever side of the issue you fall on, doesn't matter. It's that you're doing, you're going through this process to make sure you're arriving at the best answer possible for you. So I appreciate yeah. that. And I, let me just throw in, it also, patience and respect has to come along with that. I'm about to go on a trip with my boyfriend. We're going to be having dinner at someone's house who my boyfriend and I are vaccinated. They are not. They have the reasons why they're not. We're going to their house. And I suddenly had this like feeling of, oh no, like how can we tell them that we don't want to sit inside? And because it's just, I'm exposed to a lot of clients. I do a lot of traveling. And I know I'm probably protected, but my elderly clients aren't. And so I simply said, hey, well, you know, I know you guys have a great outdoor space. We're just because we're around so many people. Would that be? They're like, oh, my God, we'll sit outside. No problem. Da, da, da. It's about respecting the other person's viewpoint and not becoming reactive in that and not making it this us versus them thing. You know, just because they have a differing opinion doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means they have a different opinion. We are not our opinions. We are human beings that think this stuff. So not getting judgmental and nasty about people who feel differently or think differently, I think is important too. No, I totally agree. And I think that the state we're in right now with all of the divisiveness is a lot because of that. And so I appreciate you bringing that up because, you know, I say all the time, none of us knows if we're right or wrong. I don't know if we'll ever know, but we certainly don't know in the moment, right? We're just making the best decisions we can. So exactly. let go of all that judgment and just focus on, again, respect, understanding, empathy, recognizing that you don't know, like the biggest expert in the world on something still doesn't know everything about it. So I think the idea of being open and also you mentioned earlier curiosity. So yeah. maybe invoke a little curiosity, like, oh, there's a different perspective in this. It doesn't mean you have to agree. So mm -hmm. I very much agree with that. The book is available now, I'm assuming. It is. And if people want to follow your work or check out your videos or, you know, know more about you, what's the best way to find you? I'm all over social media, so that's easy. You can go find me there. Um, my website's kathygroover.com. You can find my books there. This is my eighth book, so I'm really excited about that. Speaking videos, things like that, uh, kathygroover.coach. If you want to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, I love doing life coaching. It's seriously one of my most favorite things. And again, I'm all over social media. You can find all my speaking videos. I do flying trapeze, so there's a bunch of trapeze videos all over the place, too. Uh, yeah, so kathygroover.com, kathygroover.coach. And uh, thanks for having me. This has been so fun. You're the first show that I'm actually talking about the book. So oh, you get the, the exclusive scoop right now. So that's great. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you joining us and I'm sure our listeners will really enjoy learning from you. And I thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Kathy for sharing her wisdom with us. Her book, Say What? How to Communicate Anything to Anyone is available now. We can apply mindfulness principles to our communications to greatly enhance conversations as well as to strengthen our relationships by setting an intention before the conversation, being fully present during the conversation, and remaining open and non-judgmental throughout the conversation. Until next time, stay well, be kind to yourself and others, 
and remember to be mindful, including in your conversations. Have a wonderful week. Mindfulness increases our emotional, physical, and mental well-being. It can also enhance our focus and productivity. Perhaps most importantly, mindfulness strengthens our empathy and compassion for others, which I believe we need more of in our world today. So practice mindfulness in everything you do. Spend at least a little time meditating every day. And remember to be kind to yourself and others. We're here to do more than just survive. We can thrive. All it takes to start is a mindful moment. Please subscribe to A Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee wherever you get your favorite podcasts and rate this podcast so that others can find us. Follow us on social media at work to live A Mindful Moment is written by Teresa McKee. The English version is hosted by Teresa McKee, and the Spanish version is translated and hosted by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll by Josh Kirsch, MediaWrite Productions. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions.